Praise God. Now I want to tell you how I feel. I feel like Brother Elder just could have went ahead and helped himself, and I would have helped that man preach. He will tell you uh, there's all kind of thoughts run through a preacher's mind while he's waiting to get jump up in the saddle. He, he got talking about happy hour. When I was a small boy, my mama used to make choke cherry wine. And uh, she made eight quarts them days. That's what it wasn't metric up there. And uh, she put them in the cupboard and she put the cork on too tight. And when that stuff got to working, it blowed the cupboard doors off them cupboards. And it would choke cherry wine everywhere. Paul said, be not drunk with wine, we're in his excess, but be filled with the Spirit. God don't have a problem with you and I getting drunk tonight so long as it's on the Holy Ghost. And ah, my God, he said, you don't put new wine in old bottles lest they burst, but you put new wine in new bottles. Oh, I'd like to get so full of the Holy Ghost tonight, it just blow up, get the Holy Ghost everywhere. Matter of fact, they got a saying where I come from on a Friday night. Down here, they say, let's just go have a high heel time. But up yonder where I come from, they say, let's just go get hands and knees floor licking drunk. I really wonder if some of you ever been drunk on the Holy Ghost or not. I've been so drunk on the Spirit of God, I, I couldn't even walk. I couldn't even roll. They had to, they had to haul me around. if you don't put the bottle to your lips, friend. Some of you so reserved and so refined. I'd like to see God get a hold of the scruff of your neck and roll you down that center aisle and back up again. Oh, let me, let me talk to you for a minute. This worship business, this, this, this excites me. I was trying to preach revival one place. And there was a preacher and his wife visiting. Boy, I took about all that woman I could handle. She sit out there, looked at me like a hoot owl on a picket fence. Service after service, she just sit there and glower at me. That cute little apostolic bun on her head. That little old long dress, she glowered at me. Finally, I got mad and I asked the guy, I said, I was preaching for her. I said, you got a long handle shovel? He said, yeah. I said, bring it, I'm gonna need it tonight. I got to preaching about Abraham. Isaac digged again the wells of Abraham, his father. I dug all kind of things out of them wells, Brother Elder. I dug TVs and videos and pantsuits and all kind of stuff out of there. And then I got to work on that old pride. And I reached over there and grabbed a hold of that shovel and I walked back where she was and I run that thing underneath her hind end and I pried her off that pew. And brother, they say looks would kill, brother. I'd have been like a pin cushion. But here's what happened. 
God broke that nasty old spirit of pride riding that woman. And that preacher told me the next service she came back, when they hit the music on that piano, she went to dancing all over that church. You see, you're looking at one preacher. I'm not willing to let you sit there with the presence of God moving. And you just sit there. And you just sit there. And you just sit there. Oh, I wonder what it would take. I wonder how much of God would have to come in this place to get some of you to respond. worship tonight. He don't want forced praise, but he does want praise, and he does want worship. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. David said, blessed is he whom, whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, in whose spirit there is no guile. You know why you're blessed tonight? Because there was a day in your life when you came to an apostolic altar and there was a God that was bigger than all your sin. Oh God, the prophet Isaiah said Israel had received double for all her sins. He said, comfort you, comfort you, my people. Do you know what that's talking about? In those days when a man was bankrupt, he had to write every debt he owed on a piece of parchment and take it out and stick it on a stake on the front lawn of his house. Everybody that walked by could read his debt. They said if a rich man came by and had mercy, he'd sign his name to the bottom of that list and fold it double and mark on the back, paid in full. There was a day, my friend, when you and I were bankrupt. We had no money. We couldn't redeem ourselves. We couldn't dig ourselves out of the hole that sin had put us in. But oh, there came a day when we were so bankrupt, we had to write a list of sin. We named our sin at an old altar. And the rich man came by. The Bible said, he that was rich became poor for your sake. And he looked at the list, Brother Elder, and he read it all. He just folded up double and said, paid in full, signed in blood, Jesus Christ. That's why we're blessed tonight. I said, that's why we're blessed tonight. We're not blessed because we got a place to worship. We could worship out in some brush or somewhere. But we're blessed of God because we've been forgiven and our sins been remitted. Praise God. Oh, I got to hurry. I got to hurry tonight. Oh, I got to touch on Joshua just for a second because. I ain't, ain't going to be preaching about, about two more services. But you know, I got to reading about Joshua when he met that angel, the captain of the Lord's host. Now that dude was a, 
he was a priest, but he was a fighting priest. Here come this angel. Joshua, the Bible said, looked up and he saw this angel. Now, I ain't never seen an angel. Not even my wife is an angel. I ain't never seen an angel. I hear a lot of people see an angel. And I talked to a guy that said he got an angel walked with him, brother, that 10 feet tall, that got blonde hair and got a sword about that wide and about five feet long. We told him. He said, every once in a while I see him walking with me. So I, I don't know. Now, if angels is that big, I don't know. Don't know. But if he was one of them 10-foot angels, I believe old Joshua looked up there and saw that dude. And if he, he said, are you on our side or the adversary side? I believe if that angel hadn't declared himself who he was, Joshua would have drug iron. My point is this. I believe Joshua had the spirit of a warrior on him. And there was something in the heart of Joshua that would defend what he believed. Everything to Joshua that didn't look right, that didn't sound right, that didn't smell right, brother, he was ready to do battle with it. What some of you need to do is get the spirit of a warrior on you. Feel that old spirit settling on the church service where it's so tight you can't even blink? What you need to do is draw the sword and say, whose side are you on? Are you on the Lord's side? Or are you on the side of the adversary? You ought not to wait for that preacher to get up here and say, all right, church, come on, let's worship God. You ought to have enough spiritual sensitivity to realize there's something wrong in the spirit. Oh, hallelujah. My God. I got to quit and read a text. <laughs> Praise God. I want to try to help you tonight. And uh, I will say this, that um, apostolic revival is no place for the fearful and the unbelieving unless you're here to repent. It's no place for the fearful. Second Samuel tonight, chapter 12. I want really, I want really to help you. And this is as much a message of just in case as any message that I preach for the elders. And I want you to know before I begin that my intent tonight is to help you. I am your friend tonight. And you might be 
wanting to say when you hear this text that I read that there is no one present that this message could possibly fit. That is another reason I'm going to preach this tonight because I don't want it ever, ever to be able to be said that it happened here. What I'm going to preach about tonight I have seen happen to my one of my best friends and I made a vow to myself that I try to keep that I would preach this everywhere I go everywhere I go in hopes that I can prevent someone from making the same mistake that he made and I do also believe that it's the will of God to preach this tonight 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse number 1. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up and it grew up together with him and with his children it did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his own bosom and was unto him as a daughter and there came a traveler unto the rich man and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress it for the wayfaring man that was come unto him but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was kindled greatly against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, the man that has done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the, word, the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thou hast despised me. I suppose every preacher that's been anywhere or preached any length of time has preached from this text. So I'm probably preaching from a worn out title and probably a more ragged text tonight than most in scripture, but I feel compelled tonight to preach this. And I want to borrow a title from my pastor tonight. I want to preach to you on this subject, Beware of the Traveler. 
beware of the traveler. Would you pray tonight? Lord God, we love you. God, we ask tonight that the Holy Ghost would come down, Lord, and anoint the ears of your people. Touch my mouth, Lord, and my lips with your anointing. God, let the anointing break the yoke. Give us understanding of your word. And I pray somehow tonight, God, that, that your church could feel the burden, God, that I feel. And Lord, God, that before it's all said and done, God, on the last amen is said, the lights are turned out, God, that you would put a carefulness in us, God. Teach us, Lord, to walk softly before you. God, it will give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. David is at home in our text when he should have been at war. There is a knock that comes at the palace door. Arise, David. You have a visitor. Who is it? that knocks upon my door. Oh, it's just a time-worn traveler, dusty from his journey. Someone who has been anywhere worth going. This traveler has been in the homes of the mighty, in the palaces of kings, in the lowly huts of the peasant. He feels at home, David, in your palace too. This traveler, David, is a veteran of many hard-fought battles. He is well-scarred, and this traveler knows no fear. David, you have a testimony tonight that you killed the lion, and you killed the bear, and you slew Goliath while others hid in fear. You are the one that they sang about killing your tens of thousands while Saul killed his thousands. How will you fare, David, against this veteran of many battles, this great champion of bygone years? Who is this traveler who has come to the home of David, the resting king? He is the one enemy, brother elder, that David never encountered on a battlefield. He is the one enemy that David had never built a defense against. This dusty traveler is the traveler called Lust. Lust had come to the palace of David seeking to conquer this resting warrior king. Lust knew that it could not sway David with riches and the acquisition of property or success or popularity. For all these were already David's by virtue of the fact that he was lawfully king of the land. Lust had come to David as a robber. It came to rob him of virtue, of cleanness. It came to rob him of honesty and integrity. It came to rob David of his reputation and to mar his testimony. It came to rob David of his self-worth, of his hope, of his faith, and his confidence that he had in God. Lust had come to rob David of the proper value of the things he already possessed. Then, after lust had acquired these things, 
he would demand from David that which was not his. The wife of another man. Lust came to condemn David in the courtroom of his own conscience and found him worthy of death by the slow torture of his own memory. Lust had come to this resting king as a robber. The fact that Bathsheba was, was displaying her body on a rooftop while she bathed did not give the king the right to her nor force her to comply with her wishes. I believe tonight that Uriah the Hittite, the husband of Bathsheba, was in many ways a much better man than David the king was. For at least Uriah, who was named among the mighty 30 men that David had, at least he was loyal and faithful unto death. Lust had demanded from David to be fed from another man's table. Lust demanded, demanded Bathsheba, Uriah's little lamb. We're not told tonight of the duration of time that it took for the fire to burn out of control. We're not told of the length of time that it took for lust to consume David. We only know that it did. David, the great warrior king, was so easily overcome and defeated by the dusty traveler because he had no defense against him. He had no guard. He had no reserve. David, in one sense of the word, was profane like Esau. Profane in the scripture in Hebrews chapter 12, I believe it is, where it calls Esau a profane man. It's not saying that Esau was necessarily an immoral man. Esau, we know, prostituted his birthright. And he prostituted his blessing. It was stolen from him. But we, we need to go back to that little word profane and understand that it did come from a word that had to do in the Old Testament with guarding the, the entrance to the tabernacle. They set a, a guard at the door to guard the threshold so that nothing uncommon or unclean could pass over the threshold into that which was holy. And what the Bible calls Esau a profane man, it's simply calling him unguarded and unfenced. Esau was a thoroughfare and open access to any spirit that wanted to come by, to any sin that was out there. Esau was easily taken by it. And David tonight was no different. David was so easily defeated by lust because he was open, he was accessible, he was unfenced and unguarded. He was in the wrong place at the right time for the wrong reason. And the traveler found him at home. Lust, by definition, is that uncontrollable, insatiable desire for the forbidden and the unlawful. Lust does not necessarily hold a sexual connotation to it, but it can be a lust for power or for position or for popularity. 
I was talking to your pastor today and I told him I don't believe in being called a conservative or a liberal because in the country where I come from those are, are uh, political parties they're political terms and in order for you to be a politician you got to be motivated by the spirit of politics Herod was a politician Herod was motivated by that spirit of politics when anything rose up to challenge Herod he killed it that's why he slew all those babies he was scared that Jesus was going to rise up and take his throne and so he slew the challenge I don't believe for a minute tonight that any apostolic preacher that calls himself apostolic should stick his chest out and say I'm conservative or I'm liberal what's wrong with just saying I'm a Christian and act like it you don't need to wear a name tag on your shirt to tell people you're a Christian you don't need some little fish on you to let people know you're a Christian why don't you just act like a Christian and everybody will know what you are but lust involves so many things in life lust is to reach for and to take that which is forbidden and unlawful for you to have foolishness the Bible said the very thought of foolishness is sin. Am I right? Foolishness always leads to fornication. You'll hear this preacher tonight. Why does it? Because when you get foolish, when you get so lighthearted that you override the checks and the balances in the Holy Ghost, you'll go too far too fast for too long and all of a sudden you'll realize where you are and you'll look back and you'll say oh look how far I've come and nothing's happened and the first thing you know you've fallen into immoral sin you've fallen into immorality because of foolishness I'm telling you tonight it'll cause you to override the Holy Ghost I really believe the Holy Ghost will check a man or a woman it'll just arrest your attention it'll stop you dead in your tracks but not for very long if you're so caught up with foolishness it'll just let you go on I read to you the scripture the other night from Proverbs chapter 6, but I'm going to read it again. Bible said, But whosoever committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound and dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. I told you then that no one will remember all the good that you did in church. They'll only remember the one time you messed up. Everybody will look at that white sheet of paper and they'll see that black spot on it. And it'll cause them to remember. They'll say, oh, do you remember when 
used to go to this church and oh there's a sadness that'll come over you and you'll say yes yes I remember I remember what happened to them David's sin is almost hidden beneath the accolades and the applause of him being a man after God's own heart but I hope you realize tonight at one point in his life he was a treacherous murdering hypocritical adulterer lust comes tonight in the clothes of a man or a woman it does not know sex uh, whether you're male or female it is a spirit the Bible said the strange woman has cast down many wounded yea many strong men have been slain by her her house is the way to hell going down to the chambers of death I want tonight to try to put some clothes on the traveler so you'll recognize him when he comes see so many times the travelers like an invisible man that old invisible man they couldn't see him till he put some clothes on your conduct tonight he talked about it the other night your holy conversation your lifestyle your conduct you can't afford you listen you can't afford to act anything but a Christian because the very minute you do you're opening the door to the traveler your conduct is so important it is what tells the traveler to either come in or stay out if you're the kind of person that is so bubbly and effervescent and just so outgoing that you can't keep your hands to yourself whether you're a man or a woman you always got to be touching who you're talking to please don't talk to me my Bible tells me it's better for a man not to touch a woman and the reason is it's to avoid fornication what are you saying preacher let me spell it out for you a little bit plainer and I don't want to get vulgar but I'm going to tell you something a woman is turned on by what she feels that's why he said don't touch a man is turned on by what he sees or what he imagines he can see that's why your conduct is so important you don't want to leave the door open for the traveler to come you can't be too careful I have watched people reject correction only to fall into immorality you better you better make up your mind if God ever has to correct you that you're going to accept the correction with a good spirit 
Because if you don't, there's a possibility that you'll leave the door open for the traveler. Colossians 2. I believe it's verse 21. said, touch not, taste not, handle not. Brother Elder, it's one of the cardinal rules of a chaperone where I come from. You don't touch, you don't taste, you don't handle. What's that mean, preacher? Let me talk to you, young people. You better learn to keep your hands to yourself. You better learn to keep yourself pure and holy because you've got to protect yourself from the traveler. Now the man of God is so fit to put chaperones in place because he knows how weak your flesh really is, whether you do or not. He knows how much discipline it takes to keep your guard up and how very little it takes to tear the guard down. So he put chaperones in place for your benefit. So you're not defenseless when the traveler comes. Now, I don't know how early you let your young people date, Brother Elder. That's your business. But if it's 16, 18, 21, or 44, or 88, they need a chaperone that's going to tell them, hey, keep your hands to yourself. I'll give you a little for instance. We had some young people at my house. And this boy kept wanting to put his hand on this girl's arm. I gave him one chance. And I said, you touch her again and I'm going to bounce your head off of that sidewalk out there. He reached over and put his hand on her arm again. And I looked at him for about two minutes and didn't say anything. And I said, you see that door? You feel it. And he said, you can't be serious. He found out I was serious when I pushed my chair back from the table. I've seen too many people fall prey to the traveler because they didn't think it was necessary that someone watched their conduct. I spent 19 years of my life in the world and you're not going to tell this preacher what goes on in the back seat of a car. I already know. And it's got no place in an apostolic church. I don't believe people that's not marriage got any business hugging and touching and swapping spit. I don't believe they got any business petting. Petting's for dogs. Matter of fact, I'll tell you how, how tight I am on it. 
I don't even let my younger daughter talk about getting married. I don't let her talking about dating boys. She ain't ready for it. I had a boy come up to me and say, can I, can I, uh, can I, I was wondering if I could, well, uh, uh, the young people are going out and I was wondering if, uh, 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 I said, what do you want? So well, I was wondering if I could take uh, your youngest daughter out uh, to eat. I said, no. I said, does your pastor know you're talking to me? Well, no, no, no. Well, he will. How old are you anyway? Well, I'm 18. I said, you know how old my daughter is? She just turned 13. I said, you know what I feel like doing to you? I said, I think you've got a spirit of a pervert on you. You know what I feel like doing to you? I feel like trimming your jib, friend. I feel like pulling you from limb to limb. I said, don't you even breathe within 30 feet of my daughter. Say, oh, preacher, you, you, you ain't supposed to talk like that. You got the Holy Ghost. I've seen what the traveler can do. And he comes in all shapes and sizes. And you can go ahead and let your daughter go ahead if you want to, friend. But mine ain't going to because I'm going to protect my daughter. Hallelujah. You say, preacher, you feel the Holy Ghost? You better believe I'm feeling the Holy Ghost. You start all that business, you'll leave the door open for the traveler to come in. What happens is you start a fire of desire that you can't put out and you can't control. It will consume your defense if you have any. It will consume your reserve if you have any. And you'll burn a, build a fire in your life that will burn out of control and totally destroy in a moment's time what it took you years to build. You can't control lust. It always controls you. And when lust leaves, it leaves the door open for sin. And sin leaves the door open for lust. That's right. You see, I know people that have fallen prey to the traveler. And I know that once it happens, you'll sin to cover up sin. You'll cheat and play the hypocrite to cover up your conduct. You'll lie to prevent people from knowing the truth. All because you opened the door to the traveler. Oh, I want to preach tonight to the young people for a second more. Listen to me. God gave you a gift to give to the one you to marry on your wedding night. It's called your virginity. He didn't give it to you to play with like a toy and throw it at the feet every old whore or whoremonger in the countryside. Anybody tells you, oh, if you really love me, you let me do such and such. They don't love you. They lust you. You should have nothing to do with that kind of person. They're just trash.
you may not have seen the devastation and the hurt that I have seen when the traveler comes by the unsuspecting. You don't, you don't know probably what it's like to see the, the, the heartache that's caused when someone feels like they can handle the traveler called lust. Think of a couple tonight that used to be in our home church. He was one of my best friends. He was a Spanish man, and uh, he was a man that had been in the Trinitarian movement. He was a preacher for those folks for seven years and finally got the revelation of one God and uh, Jesus named baptism, and he came into the church, and, and uh, oh, he could preach. I heard him preach, and he could preach the birds out of the trees. Man, that guy would preach, and tears would run down his face. The anointing so strong on him. But I, I watched his life, and I used to work with him by times, and we'd have him in our home, and they had a beautiful family, Brother Elder. He and his wife had a little boy and a little girl, and I don't know where, I don't know where it all started. I don't know when it all started. I just know that one day lust came by and found him home. This man, uh, he began to, I suppose, become friendly at first with a young lady in the church. This man was 29 years old. She was 15 years old. And I don't know the kind of relationship that the man had with his wife at home. I dare say that it wasn't the best. Irregardless of what his situation was at home, it gave him no liberty to do what he did with that young lady. Or should I say that young woman. I don't know whether they ever met before this particular night for some clandestine relationship or not. But they went to a motel and committed fornication. And a week or so later, we are in prayer meeting. I was praying beside him and God spoke to me that he'd committed fornication with this woman. And I went to my pastor and told him, and he said, go get him. He wasn't in church that Sunday morning. To make a long story short, his wife found out. She showed up at my doorstep. She was crying, and I said, we better call the pastor. He confessed to his wife in my kitchen. Brokenhearted, sorry, but not sorry enough. Because a week later, he shacked up with the girl after standing up before the church and confessing and making an apology, praying at an altar, he wasn't sorry enough. And the traveler moved into his life and began to destroy. He and his wife separated, of course. They got a divorce. I did have the privilege to pray his children through the Holy Ghost and baptize them in Jesus' name. They are still in church. His wife is still in church, or his ex-wife. Lust had come by this man's life.
I remember seeing him later on, several months later. He came to my house and uh, late at night brought a pizza, rung the doorbell. I got up to see who it was. He waved at me through the glass in the front door and went back to his car. And uh, it was winter time. He, he got stuck. I put my clothes on, went out and pushed house and there's a church, uh, a house next door there that was the parsonage and young couple lived there and they called me a few minutes later this is two or three o'clock in the morning and they said he's here and and they called him my name and he said he's cutting himself and you could hear the man telling him to put the knife down you could hear the woman crying on the other end of the phone I said just call the police I'll be over in a few minutes by the time I got there the police had taken him away a few weeks later, I had him in my house for supper trying to help him. And he told me, he said, you know, something got hold of me that night. I don't understand what happened. Maybe, maybe it was the devil. I don't know. But he said, I really did cut myself. My wife was downstairs doing laundry. Kids were outside playing. He opened up his shirt, and he probably had 150 stitches on his chest where that spirit that was driving him made him cut himself. He reminded me so much of what the scripture talked about, that that one that would throw, uh, that spirit that would throw that person in the fire. Or, or He was so, so taken up with this spirit. Every time I'd see him, see him downtown sometimes, I remember parking at a red light, waiting for it to change, and I looked over and he was standing on the street corner. And when he looked up and saw me, tears run down his face and he mouthed the words I had it all but I let it slip through my fingers when he would go to where he was from in Central America he would bring back little gifts my wife and I and drop them off and brother elder I can't help it I know the man's a sinner I know he's a confessed adulterer but I'd weep with that man standing at my back door I'd grab him and put my arms around him and I'd beg him to come back to God and pray He'd weep and cry and say, it's too late. It's too late. I can't feel God. I can't feel God. The traveler had come by his place to destroy and to rob, to eat a little bite and then travel on. He never comes to stay. He just comes to wreak havoc. I believe when lust has finished destroying a life, lust leaves the life broken and ruined and travels on. Heard a story of a man who called the pastor on a Sunday morning. I said, Pastor, I need to meet with you at the church. Early in the morning, he said, all right man came in his office followed by his wife and a man in the church story unfolded the man's wife and this other man had committed adultery and as they confessed their sin before God and that man of God this man that had called the pastor said pastor get me a basin of water in a towel and he got down where the elder and washed the feet of his wife and this other man and that pastor said he went into the sanctuary to pray and he could be heard screaming, God, 
Take the murder out of my heart. Take the hate out of my heart. Here was a man, innocent brother elder, a good father, a good husband. But lust had come by his house and destroyed his marriage. I wonder tonight, in an attempt to feed the traveler, have you perhaps taken that which is not lawfully yours to feed him? Lust comes and it causes you to repeat the offense more than once because it's not satisfied with just a one-night flame. It'll cause you to committed over and over and over again. Your only hope tonight is if the travelers come by your house is to make your way to an old-fashioned altar. Shut the door on the traveler and pour your heart out to God and confess your sin to God and the man of God. Say, preacher, I didn't think we should confess our sin to men. There's some sins that you gotta you, you just better take it for granted. It's better that your pastor knows because he can watch over you and make sure you keep the door closed to the traveler. Travelers never satisfied until you're just a wasted shell of what could have been. Of what could have been. David, if you had been at war, he would not have been at home when the traveler came. Can I just say this and, and hope that you'll understand what I mean? But if you're involved with the work of God up to here, if God means everything to you, there's no chance for the traveler to come by. You're always busy doing the things which please your Father. It's people that have leisure time. They don't have time to pray, but they get time to play. They don't have time to read the Bible, but they get time to read romance novels. Can I tell you this much about romance novels? They're killing the apostolic movement. You know why they're killing the apostolic movement? There's a woman that's writing, supposedly under Christian auspices. I think her name is Rivers, is her last name, I think. That woman is a filthy woman. Brother, I tried to read one of her books, and it was perverted sickness but do you know why they're killing us Christian romance novels because nobody's that perfect you read a book and in there brother elder the guy does everything right he's always shaved he's always got nice clothes he never smells like he works. He's always, right. 
He's always like the girl's dad. He's always driving a nice car and got a billfold full of money. He always says the right thing at the right time. He's always complimenting that woman. There ain't nobody. There ain't nobody that's a man that's like that. That's a figment of that author's imagination. But what happens is some gullible woman believes that's what a man's supposed to be. And when poor old Jack comes home from work after 10 hours a day of slaving to provide for that woman and he smells a stale sweat and he's got a five o'clock beard on and his hair's messed up and his clothes are greasy and dirty. And pardon me, brother, but he smelled like a cow. She gets to look at him and think, my God, he ain't like that guy in the book. Now you're laughing, but I'm telling you what's right. And so rather than accept what God has given her as the will of God for a husband, she goes surveying the crowd, looking for the hearer of the book. That woman in the book, she's always beautiful. She's always blonde with blue eyes and five foot ten and weighs 105 pounds. And just just so-so. Oh. Just attention arresting. When she walks in the room, there's indrawn breath by every male. <sighs> He's smitten with her presence. He slobbers and drools as she walks away. He lays awake at night and dreams, daydreams in the middle of the night about what it's going to be like to be married to her. And he hasn't even spoken one word to her yet. He sits outside her window and throws pebbles, hoping to wake her up. No, I wouldn't do that, preacher. You don't know what you'll do, young man, until it's your time. I've seen some young men that I thought had a head on their shoulders, but when she walked into their life, friend, their head went rolling across the floor. So here's your old poor wife at home. She's gained 15 pounds since you married her because you gave her nine kids. You come home, she's had nine kids in her life all day long when you've been out at the job. Washing machine broke. Kids is crying. Kids is sick. Car won't start. 
she ain't even had a chance to get anything to eat. And you come home and you say, she don't look anything like that girl in that book. I'm preaching about a real world tonight, friend. You better get a grip. I said, you better get a grip on your marriage. Because a romance novel can come between you and the one you married. You know, silk handkerchiefs are killing us. Same people that read these romance novels. Brother, I know this happened. Little friction in the home. Reading the romance novel. Thinking, my God, my husband ain't like that guy in that book. You know, that's the worst thing about a woman working today. She got to work with a bunch of sinners. Run on down on the high rise. You come a tripping across that marble floor. Going to go to the elevator to go up to your office. You're crying because he said what he wasn't supposed to say in the morning. He didn't kiss you goodbye. He didn't do whatever. Like a guy in the book would. You jump in that elevator and it stops one floor up. And who gets on but the guy in the book? My God. You're crying, and you drop that little handkerchief getting out of that elevator, and guess what happens? The guy in the book picks it up and says, excuse me, ma'am, you dropped this. And he notices you, your eyes are red, the handkerchief's wet, you've been crying. What's wrong, ma'am? Well, I don't want to talk about it. It's personal. But he waits for you on the elevator the next day. And the next day. And finally talks you into having coffee with him. And then it's dinner with him. And then it's a motel room with him. And it can happen the same way with a man. I'm going to tell you there's a lot of predators out there. I worked downtown Calvary, Calgary for 15 years, brother. I know what's in that downtown hole. Predators. It's full of predators. You better keep the home fires burning, honey. Let me say it again. I said you better keep the home fires burning. Oh. David, you will never be what you could have been. How sad. The words, what could have been. Preacher, are you saying that if I ever fall into immorality, I can never be saved? No. no. I'm not saying that. I hope to God you are saved. But what I'm saying is, you will never rise to the height that you could have if you'd have stayed clean. Your pastor has principles and he has convictions. But I wonder how many principles and convictions you have.
Oh. Your pastor would never be caught alone in a room with a woman that was not his wife. He wouldn't even stay in this church with a woman alone that wasn't his wife. But I wonder if you would. See, I've learned I don't trust flesh. I don't trust my flesh, Brother Elder. And I sure enough don't trust your flesh. <gasps> Preacher, that's nasty. No, that's the truth. The only thing that keeps the traveler at bay is if you have self-discipline and self-control and you put principles and convictions in your life that says no further than here. Here's the line. Keep away from the line. I just believe if you act like you're married, you don't got to worry about a wedding ring. You don't got to worry about people bothering you. You don't got to worry about the traveler coming by. If you act like you're married. Some woman touches me and says, get your hands off me. You're ignorant. No, I'm rude. Get your hands off me. Don't touch me. I'll shake your hand real quick, but that's it. Don't trust flesh. Let me say this about holiness preaching. Holiness preaching is not laws and rules and regulations to keep you in and keep you hampered and keep you restricted and confined. Holiness preaching is there to keep the traveler out. That's right. Better to die in battle a faithful, loyal servant than to die at the hands of the traveler. Saul, in the closing moments of his life, said, I have played the fool and have erred exceedingly. Saul died, the Bible said, in Mount Gilboa. Gilboa means the place of the bubbling fountain. It was a place, Brother Elder, if you please, where a man could be refreshed in his spirit but not so for Saul. I could tell you a story tonight about a man that died in Mount Gilboa. He died in the church house, place of the bubbling fountain. That's where this man made his mind up to fall with this young girl. Saul, you could have refreshed yourself from your weariness. Saul, you're in the place of the bubbling fountain. Saul, you died without excuse. No one has to be lost tonight. If you're lost, you'll be lost knowing the way of truth and having decided you don't want it.
I'm convinced tonight that David went to the grave hating the very day that he ever opened the door to the traveler called lust. A moment of weakness on David's part caused him an eternity of regret. Just a few moments pleasure and the traveler traveled on. And tonight as you stand, would you stand please? David, you are just the close of a message. Just a sad story of weakness. Just an altar call, David. You can't afford tonight to take any chances with the traveler. Got to beware of the traveler. Young person, build a guard in your life. Build a guard in your life. You've got one chance to get married and do it right. Guard yourself. Put a defense up. Boy, you got one chance to do it right. Guard yourself. Guard yourself. Because there's a traveler up there that's looking for somebody with no fence, no guard that's open. Sir, ma'am, you better love one another. I really believe with all of my heart that people get into trouble in their marriage when they start treating each other differently after they say, I do. You'll bring her flowers. You'll bring her candy. You'll dress in your best. You'll treat her with utmost respect until after you marry her. In a few short weeks later, you want her to be your home slave. You can't wait till he comes by. You respect him. You want to look your best for him. But a few short weeks after you get married to him, it doesn't make any difference whether he comes home and you're in your house coat, slippers, curlers. I'm telling you, you're leaving the door open for the traveler. You'll run into problems when you stop courting one another after you get married. Oh, God, help me to say it right tonight, but, but you can't. You can't treat each other like trash all day long and then expect something to be there when you go to go to bed at night. Your bedroom is a sanctuary, not a war zone. You can't treat her like trash all day long and then treat her like Romeo when it's bedtime. You can hunt and fish all you want, boys, but let me tell you, when I get married, I laid the gun and the rod on the altar. My wife means more to me than a hunting trip and a fishing trip. I refuse to divorce my wife two weeks during hunting season, two weeks during fishing season. I refuse to spend on junk 
like rods and reels what I won't spend on my wife. You want to raise your kids in an environment where she'll make you coffee in the morning and you'll drink it, but you don't say anything. Your, your kids never see you hug one another and kiss one another goodbye in the morning. Just You're opening the door for the traveler. I really feel like tonight if your husband and wife and you're here, let's get a hold of that little woman and bring her up to the front. Go get her. Bring her up to the front. I don't care if she's playing instruments or not. We can have church without music. You know, I couldn't help but think I was watching this couple here. I don't even know him. don't know what their name is. Couldn't tell you. But I know they've been married longer than a year or two because they got kids that yay tall. But you know what? I was watching them. And yeah, I don't mean to embarrass you, but it, it kind of made my heart just jump. But I was watching them. And he still looks at her like she's 15 years old, 16 years old. She still looks at him like he's the only man ever God ever made. I'm serious. You know what? I think that's why they're so happy. Y'all want a happy marriage that's going to last? you got to keep the traveler out, friend. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to get a hold of that little woman. And I want you to hug on her. Say, right in church? Right in church. Put your arm around that little woman. You let God and the devil and everybody else know you're staking your claim. And I want you to pray for your wife. And I want you to pray for your husband. That there'll be a fence and a guard up in your life. That when you're away from them, they can trust you absolutely. That when you come together as a husband and a wife in your home and you're sitting around, there's no mistrust because you've made a pact together. You've made an agreement together. We're going to keep the traveler out. We're going to keep the traveler out. Come on, church. I want you to help me pray tonight. I want you to help me pray. Preacher, this ain't revival preaching. Oh, I want to tell you what. If you get a hold of what I'm trying to say tonight. I believe long before you can have revival in a church, you're going to have revival in your home. I've seen what the traveler can do in a church. He can wreck a havoc. But there's, no, there's no telling how much damage is done. But if you learn to pray one for the other and stand against the traveler, you'll set an example for your children. They'll keep out the traveler because they'll want the kind of relationship you have in your marriage. Come on, church. Pray tonight. Pray tonight. Would you pray? God, 
help us to keep out the traveler. God, help us to keep our home a sanctuary. God, I ask, Lord, you'd strengthen, God, these couples tonight. God, pressure from everywhere around. But, God, help there to be enough Holy Ghost in their life and in their marriage that they can keep out the traveler. Oh, God, help us, Lord, tonight to put carefulness, God, in our walk. Lord, help us, God. Give us discernment. Give us eyes to see. Lord, when the traveler comes, help us, Lord, to have enough integrity to keep him out. Oh, would you lift your hands tonight and thank God, thank God for a good marriage that you have. For the elder, would you come, please?